Our third and final reading today comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. One day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men, they are disturbing our city. They are Jews and they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A slave girl, a fortune teller, a healing born out of annoyance, a beating, an imprisonment, an earthquake, a jailbreak, and a baptism. This story raises more than a few questions. Other than the baptism, very little about this story goes along with the way we'd like to imagine things playing out in a post-resurrection world. Much could be said about the world today, much the same could be said about the world today, which is why with both this story and today's realities, I wonder if we might do well to focus 
on the places where things go right. There's nothing right about a slave girl, a young woman, a human being, being held as property. And while his motivations might have been less than perfect, Paul casts the unhealthy spirit from her, setting her free from one piece of what has bound her spirit. It is not a perfect solution because she is still a slave, just a slave without any fortune-telling power. So now she's actually a slave that is worth considerably less to her owners. But don't overlook this. Paul and Silas, they could have passed through town without any trouble to themselves. All they had to do was to leave that slave girl alone. If they had just let her be and remain in her difficult circumstances. But she continues to chase after them. She continues to proclaim, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. I can't help but wonder if her purpose is more to remind them who they are than to tell anybody else. Because it's not their theology and it's not their preaching that gets them into trouble. It's economics. It's having cost important men serious amounts of money. But whatever the reason, remember this, they could have slipped through town easily enough. They chose otherwise, though, putting the needs of another ahead of their own plans and ahead of their own safety. In a world where injustices are complex and multi-layered, Paul and Silas do not have the capacity to fix everything. But they do not hesitate to do what they can. It's for this reason that they are hauled into the center of the marketplace and accused of disturbing the peace by being different. The crowds join in attacking them and they are stripped of their clothes and beaten with rods and thrown into prison into the innermost darkest cell with their feet in shackles. And around midnight, the text tells us, in the deepest dark, in the loneliest hour, Paul and Silas pray, and they sing hymns to God, and the prisoners are listening. My friend Sarah Brower, she says, I would like to think that if I were imprisoned like they were, I would be praying too. But I suspect that I would be praying like a hot, panicked mess without any dignity whatsoever, and likely without the ability to carry a single note on a shaky voice. How do you think you would respond? Sarah's honest confession has led me to wonder, what were they singing? What prayers were they repeating? Were their arms raised toward the heavens or were their heads bowed down in distress? Were they singing the Psalms, their oldest and best songs? Were they singing an old version of Amazing Grace, recalling the dangers, toils, and snares through which they'd already come? Were they pleading, singing, help of the helpless Lord, abide with me? 
Were they remembering the Magnificat, telling themselves and all those shackled up with them that God's mercy is for generation to generation, that he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, that he's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty, and that surely he will come and proclaim release to the captives. If you were in their shoes, what would you sing? It was about 10 years ago that my friend Francis stood on a stage at a girls' boarding school in Ho, a city in Ghana, and told a room full of young women a bit about her faith. She told them about her grandmother, who taught her the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, teaching her not only the words, but teaching her to sing it whenever she was afraid or uncertain. Do you know the song? Frances asked the girls, and she began singing in English. Only a few lines in, the girls had smiles on their faces, and they began to sing along in Twi, their native language. It was a beautiful moment when an old hymn united us across continents and cultures and languages. Our time in Ghana overall was a rich one. We learned more about the Presbyterian church there. We met with pastors and worshipped in sanctuaries of all sorts. We were welcomed as overnight guests in small but proud homes. We toured the country and discussed contextual theology with deans and professors at the Presbyterian Seminary in Accra, the capital city. In the more urban areas, we were fortunate that many of our hosts spoke English, as none of us knew the language or dialects spoken throughout Ghana. Toward the end of the trip, though, we moved toward more remote areas, one day, our translator got us settled in a small van, gave directions to the driver, and assured us that even though the driver did not speak English, he would get us where we needed to be in just a few hours. But what we didn't know is that the driver did not speak the language of the translator, and the directions had not been properly understood. We drove three hours in the wrong direction, a reality that we discovered only after the van had broken down on the side of a road. Our driver looked at us apologetically, gestured, we thought, telling us to stay put, and then walked away. As the hours slipped away, groups of children began to gather around us. Word had gotten out, 
and curiosity had gotten the better of them. We played games as long as our energy allowed. And when that energy had waned and we were nearly at the end of our rope, Francis began singing again. Now later, she would admit that she was singing mainly for herself in that moment, but it helped all of our spirits when once again, voices in a different language joined the same melody. And as the day began to slip toward evening, we wondered if we might need to sleep in a broken down van. But it was then that half a dozen cars drove down what had been all day an empty street and stopped right beside us. In halting English, a man said, we are church members, Christians. Some of our children have been here with you all day and they told us that you were singing songs of praise and that you might need some help. Do you need help? church members drove us to the nearest town and made arrangements for us to stay in the hotel. The owner is a church member, the man said. Your van will be repaired in the morning. You have nothing more to worry about. We had not been in prison, but we had been held captive by our fear and our uncertainty, our lack of language and knowledge, our inability to communicate and plan. And sometimes singing and praying really does shake the foundations and set us free. Now, I don't want to lead you astray here. I do not think that praying hard enough or singing loud enough can get us out of every uncomfortable or unpleasant or unjust situation. 
There's a difference between thinking we can be like God and seeing in retrospect the way God has used the prayers of others to help save us. But just because we don't get to decide the effects that prayer has in the world does not mean that prayer has no effect on the world. I am completely captivated by the effect prayer has on the prisoners in today's scripture. Because you see, only Paul and Silas are praying and singing. The text actually goes out of its way to point this out. It says deliberately that the others were listening. They were listening, not participating. And yet when that earthquake comes, immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Everyone's. Not just those who prayed the prayers and sang the songs. Everyone's. It's as if the faith of those two was sufficient enough for the entire group. I think this points us to something absolutely essential. Faith is rarely, if ever, given in sufficient quantities to individuals. It is always given in sufficient quantities to communities. Even when we don't have enough on our own, there is still enough. Enough that everyone in the jail is set free, prisoners and jailer alike. Because you see, when the jailer wakes and sees the prison doors wide open, he is about to hurt himself, suddenly aware how much trouble, how much disgrace and dishonor will be brought upon him. But Paul shouts in time to stop him, do not hurt yourself, we are all still here. That's something else that goes right. Don't you see? The doors of the prison are wide open and all of the chains are broken open, but the prisoners don't go anywhere because they realize something devastating. They realize that taking advantage of their open doors will lead to the closing of a door for another and they refuse to let their freedom come at the expense of another human life. That's why Paul yells, using words we have all longed to hear at some time or another, words that were echoed almost exactly by church members in a remote town in Ghana. Don't worry, we're here. You are not alone. You see, all alone, death almost always seems inevitable. But together, new life is always possible.
Hearing all of this, the jailer rushes in. What can I do to be saved, he asks. Believe in Jesus, they tell him, and he takes them to his home where his doors are open to them because they refuse to close the door on him. And he washes their wounds and then they wash his whole family in the waters of baptism. Prayer and singing. They can't change everything. They can't fix everything. But they can help us see what's right. In any given situation, in any given individual, and in any given community. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.